Welcome to the Oak Grove Podcast. Hey friends, can you um, open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? I'll read from chapter, uh, sorry, verse 1 through to verse 11, but we won't break down all of it. It's a massive chapter. We could spend hours in it. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 goes like this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born prematurely, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with, with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And may God bless us as we jump into the blessing of his inerrant and sovereign and powerful word this evening. We're going to look at hopefully a few misconceptions and, uh, and applications of what it means to receive the grace of God. And we're going to look through uh, mainly <clears throat> verse uh, 8 through to verse 10, uh, touching on verse 11. But, but that main theme that I want to hit tonight is that grace coming from God to us produces works, produces workmanship, produces zealous works. Not so much, uh, although it's true, but not so much the, the focus tonight is not just that God's saving power, His grace produces repentance and sanctification. That's true. But I mean, particularly what we see from Paul here is that an overflow of God's grace produces zealous missionary, uh, great commission engagement and work for his glory. And we'll, we'll break this down in four main heads. Firstly, we'll see that grace sovereignly saved Paul in verse 8. We'll see that grace humbled Paul in verse 9. That grace transformed Paul in verse 10 and that grace produced industrious zeal in Paul in, verse, in the last half of verse 10. So if you can look at me to verse 8, we're going to look at how Paul uh, uh, speaks of being saved by the sovereign grace of God. He says, of course, he's talking all about the resurrection, giving proof for it, saying that, that Christ has, has shown himself as resurrected to this uh, large body of, of people and the, the least important, the, the last that he appeared to, the least worthy of even being appeared to, was Paul himself. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Now, when he says one untimely born, if you notice, when I read it, I said born prematurely, because that's really the, the, the notion of the original word there, is that if you think about it, all of the other apostles had three long years with Christ, in which they could be schooled and taught and asked their questions. And sort of at the end of that, they received the Holy Spirit and, and, and in power and all of this. You could think of that as a three-year-long pregnancy 
or a three-year-long discipleship with Christ where they were able to mature from conception to uh, being full-term and able to be released into the world as newborn infants. But Paul, he says, I was, I was like one who was born prematurely. I was, I was walk, uh, riding down on the Damascus Road to continue the persecution and killing of the church. And in that same moment, I was both conceived fully matured and birthed as a new creation in Christ because he appeared to me and recreated me when he blinded him and, and brought him into belief in Christ as Lord. He says, in that sense, Paul was born prematurely. He was, he was born quickly. He was fast-tracked, fast-forwarded, uh, but definitely he, he was not in the ordinary sense um, called and discipled as the, as the other apostles were. And in fact, uh, he, he, he speaks of his salvation of that grace which, which uh, worked so powerfully in him, he says that he calls his, that grace coming to him, he, he calls his salvation, now of course salvation is spoken about in all sorts of different ways in Scripture, but he, when he recalls it, when Paul recalls it, he calls it when Jesus appeared to me. He doesn't say that, you know, one, when I really came to my final decision or or after a long time of, of preparation, Jesus became real to me. He, he simply remembers that blessed day as the day that Jesus appeared to me, because he physically did. But, but that's what salvation to Paul was. That's what the grace of God did. It, it brought Jesus to him. He was just bewildered at the fact that he would receive so much grace. This is the number one thing that, that, that grace does is it saves us sovereignly. Paul remembers when he writes to Timothy in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, in verse 14, he says that I've received mercy, and he goes on to say that the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He, he, he thinks back to the day that God in Christ, sovereignly saved him. And he doesn't get into theological arguments about who chose who in salvation. He's just bewildered that he's saved. And I wonder, is that, is that our response with grace? Is grace something that was really quite fitting for God to do? And if I was God, I also would have saved me because I'm, I think straight and I'm wise. Does grace seem fitting and well-earned to us? And Paul says later, if we think grace is well-earned, it's not grace. Do we have a sense of bewilderment that we are saved? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, he would ask people if they're a Christian, and then he would kind of have a, have a good sense in the first couple of uh, sentences of their answer, whether or not he could bank on them being truly saved or not. He would say, are you a Christian? And if their answer was, because often he would get the answer, oh, well, of course I'm a Christian, then he would start with a lot of doubt over this person's salvation because when you've received the grace, you don't think, oh, of course I'm a Christian. He, he, he would listen for those, those senses and encourage in people the sense of, you know what? Yes, even I, I am a Christian. I've received the grace. This is the, what I'm trying to get at is this, this sense of bewilderment that God's grace saves me. It saved Paul. That's number one grace, which uh, is shown to us in verse eight. Then he goes on to show how Grace humbled Paul. I don't know what your translation says, but mine says that, for I am, Paul says, the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
Of course, all of the apostles were unworthy of being called as apostles, and all of them are unworthy of receiving God's grace. But none of the other apostles had as part of their testimony, none of the other apostles, they had sinned against Jesus in, in, in his ministry, and they had doubted him, and they had committed all of their own sins. None of them had actively sought the destruction and death and bloodshed of Christians. And so Paul has a, a, a sense in which he has a, a guilt on his conscience that, that any, none of the other apostles could have carried. He says, I'm the least of all to be called an apostle. And uh, he even calls himself the chief of sinners in the book of 1 Timothy. And as Philippians 3 tells us, he's one of the guys that had a full list of things that really did qualify him for boasting. I remember back in high school, I uh, engaged in Greco-Roman wrestling competitions and training. Uh, and one of the highlights of the year was when the American colleges would send over their uh, best athletes over to Australia and we would have a, uh, have a wrestling competition. And um, there was always, there was all, I remember the first year that I was there, I was weighing in next to this, uh, this short but muscly guy from uh, Idaho. And he just had this air about him that was so arrogant. Like he could just, he was looking at me like he could pin me in 10 seconds. And I didn't like that. And I just thought how arrogant it was and how unfitting it was to just walk around like that. Anyway, I, I met him out on the mat. And it turns out that that air of arrogance was, was well earned because he pinned me in about seven seconds. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is that there's, there's some people whose arrogance is just not even, not, not earned. It's just unfitting. And then there's some people whose, whose arrogance is, is at least in part earned, that you can kind of respect that uh, uh, you may be prideful, but you, you've earned your way there. Paul was like that. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't put his pride or his arrogance or his resume to the side because it wasn't all that impressive. He had a genuine list of things that would put him above everybody else. He, he genuinely could walk around with an air of religious, not spiritual truly, but, but religious among other people, pride, and, and betterment, but, but he puts all of that to the side in Philippians 3, calling it rubbish because he knew that he was the chief of sinners. Um, and and this, is, this is part of what God's grace does. When, when it, hum, it humbles us, that he, thought, he could have thought so much about himself, but he rather calls himself the least and the last and the most unworthy of the apostles. But, but even there, uh, Matthew Henry says that one of the, the, the powerful things about the grace that comes to us in salvation is that it even uses our past sins, which were the deepest and darkest parts of our lives, that maybe if we had designed salvation, we would have erased from our memory or history. But God's wisdom and power works in such a way that even those darkest sins committed before we knew Christ, or, or in the first few years after knowing Christ, how we still fell and failed in so many ways, or, or even in recent years, the darkest and most deepest terrible things that you've done against the law of Christ and his heart can still yet be used by God's grace to work in you, not in a way to justify that sin, but because of God's wisdom and power, he uses those very things to work powerfully in your life, that Paul was humbled by who he had been. He wanted to get rid of them from his memory, but God held them there as, as a constant reminder of the power of God's grace. And then, and then for us to be able to see that example uh, encourages our walk with God, encourages what we can be forgiven from. This is, this is God's grace that it humbles us, even using our past sins for our good and uh, the failings that we thought, we, we can look back and think all those failings and sins that we thought would have been the end, would have been uh, so terrible, 
God uses to set up Ebenezer's in our past, that we can look back and remember where I would have walked off the track, there, there is where God came in and saved me. Where I had begun to wander, there God came through powerfully and rescued me. This is the power of God's grace. It humbles us, even using our sins, taking away our prestige and our pride. So much so that, can you just skim to verse 11? Look at what he says. We're, we're going to go through verse, uh, the rest of 10, but look at what he says in verse 11. He's so humbled that he says to the Corinthians, whether then it was, and he's comparing, he's sort of relating to the other apostles. He says, whether then it was I who preached or they who preached, it's not relevant. The point is that we preached and you believed. And I read that and I want to stop him and say, no, Paul, the other apostles didn't preach in, Cor in Corinth. You're the one who went there for years and preached. You're the one who put in the zeal and the labor and was beaten and was chased out and, and worked hard. You're the one bearing the anxiety for this church. You're the one writing this letter. You're the one who preached. That, that matters to me. Take the credit. But he says, oh, look, it, was it me who preached? Maybe, oh, look, whether it was me or the apostles, the point is that you've believed to the glory of Christ. <laughs> That's what grace does when it comes to us. It, it saves us sovereignly. And it humbles us and brings us so low at the foot of Christ. But, but it also transforms us. This is our third one. You look at verse 10. When grace comes to us, it transforms us. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. But that first section, by the grace of God, I am now what I am. He went from a fierce enemy to a chief master builder. He went from, from being an, an attacker of the church to being an apostle of Christ to the church. And so this would be encouraging for us that if we would be, if we are a lost sinner here tonight under the, the guise and the uh, disguise of religion, if we're lost, still in our sin, still tempted and addicted and, and insatiable in our pursuit of fleshly lusts, we can look at Paul's example and say, if he can go from bloodthirsty murderer and beater of humans to their death, if he can take him and make him one who builds up souls and encourages and builds churches, then you, if you are yet here tonight and unsaved, God can transform you in such a way. That is Paul's example. That is why God used Paul and put his testimony in our scripture that you might be encouraged with that. And if you're a Christian, then, then you have uh, this encouragement that, what, that the great change that God wrought in Paul, he can yet work in you. You might think that wherever you were before Christ or however you've grown, you might be discouraged with where you still are, still, still wanting more growth, more power in the gospel. And Jesus says that by Paul's example, you can see there is so much more growth to go. There, there is the power available to you to complete the work, to, to push on into the gospel by faith and be grown to become what God would have you become. That's the encouragement. You are, you are in no lack of power or resources to finish the work of sanctification that God has before you. Not that you will finish or reach the prize, but will continue laboring forwards. And maybe, you, maybe you're a veteran Christian. Maybe you've been at this for decades and you, you work and you are, you are continuing the, the, the soul-transforming work of, um, of uh, by faith pursuing Christ and seeking his likeness, 
you must remember that this is by the grace of God. We have to be able to say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yes, there's been work. Yes, there's been human effort and, and all of these other things that I can point to. But behind them all, the great fountainhead that brings all of these streams into my life, if I trace them all backward, I find at the very source the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not from myself. So it, grace did transform Paul. But this is our, this is our hitter tonight. Grace produced industrious zeal in Paul. Let's read verse 10 and we'll play with a bit of a misconception that often comes around. End of verse 10 says, His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Here's the misconception. Maybe we'll do a thought experiment. Think of two people in your mind, and I want you to decide who in, in your mind um, seems to be more aware of God's grace to them. Who seems to be more aware of God's grace? Is it the, the Christian who is always working hard for Jesus, both on his inward soul and his, his outward uh, uh, work, both in public, in front of other people, and even when he's alone, he just doesn't stop. He keeps on working or the person who's always at ease and, and, and rest and just, just, just a lays in the Christian life because, because they know what, what God has done. They Inwardly, they don't put up fights against all this sinful stuff. And, and outwardly, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're aware that, they, that they're walking in worldly ways but, but, but are, are calm with that, at peace with that who are not serving very much and not running very much in the race. Who in your mind, between those two Christians, who is more aware of the forgiving and saving grace of God in their life? And now, of course, one answer could be, well, we can't tell. E each of them could be in, in, in doing different things for different reasons and in different ways. That's true. But there is a tendency or a misconception to say, well, the one who's working hard, the one who is laboring, has no concept of grace. They must think, they must believe somehow that they're, that they're earning God's salva salvation or merit or something like that. I mean, if you're working hard, if you're breaking a sweat, you probably don't understand grace. If, you, if you're working hard at the, in the in, inward purity, you, you just don't understand the grace of God. There's a, a whole movement these days, it's actually becoming quite a worked out theology called hyper-grace where God forgives and forgives so much to make you, in making you a Christian that there is no such thing as necessary obedience in your life because it's all grace. It's just you, you are fully saved and continually forgiven by God. By grace, there's no need for obedience because that makes God's grace look even better. This is, the, this is often what we think. We, we can get in a tendency to think that the one who is always working hard has a lesser view of the grace of God, a lesser understanding of the grace of God. And when we think of God's grace coming to a person, we probably don't associate that with hard work. Usually, if we're not careful to, to pull up our, our thought categories and, and uh, test them. Because grace is opposite to works, right? We're told in the New Testament that grace is opposed to works. We're not justified by works, 
but by God's gracious work towards us. You're, by faith, you are, by grace, you are saved through faith, not a result of works. And when this comes to our justification before God, let no one confuse it. When it comes to God declaring us just, it is on the basis of not our works, but Christ, and therefore fully gracious towards us. That's good news. And yet, what Paul shows us is the inflowing of God's gracious presence to us, the inflowing and pouring out of His grace to us, actually is in vain if it doesn't produce work in us for the Great Commission. So he says, the grace of God towards me was not in vain. This is our assurance, this has to be our, our conviction that the more grace of God I have received, the more I will be, uh, the more harder I will be working, the more I can be, the more God can expect of me because his grace is not just forgiving, but also empowering. We think, we, um, we th maybe we also tend to think that we make most of God's grace when we do the least, so that no one looks at us and that no one thinks to mention our name on their lips. No, it's, they'll all just give glory to God if they don't see me working hard. But in fact, it's when we work the hardest by God's grace that we have much more glory to give God for. And so we can, we can work hard to, to produce a, a, a return on the talents we've been given in that parable so that we might give a greater return back to our king. Paul said, I worked harder than any of them. And he's talking about the other apostles. So two things he said he gets, he's gotten more of than the other apostles. More grace because he was the worst candidate for an apostle, which meant that he worked harder than any of them. We need to marry these two in our minds. More grace that I get, the harder I should be seen to be working for God. Not for my justification, but because he has so filled me with that grace. I worked harder than any of them. So these were, these were both voluntary sacrifices. You know the ones that he made where he didn't pursue a wife for ministry, uh, to go with him on the missionary journeys because he knew he could be more effective without one. Or, or when he had a right to take wages from the churches he planted, but he, but he refused to for times in order to work, uh, show them that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Or all of these voluntary sacrifices that he made to, to, to fast and work hard and, and give up a, a comfortable life and a successful career wherever he would have gone. He was a, he was a uh, very smart man. He gave up all of that voluntarily. Then on top of that, there was all of the situational providences of God, like being shipwrecked multiple times, uh, having snakes come and bite him simply uh, that he, he would have avoided if he had picked a, a, a nice holiday home in Malta, but instead he was traveling for the mission. And then on top of that, there were all of the attacks from his enemies, where he was whipped and, and scourged and, and beaten with rods and, and, uh, and, and beaten to the point of death outside of cities, all of these things. He worked harder in all of those senses, received more of those than any of the other apostles. But he also received more missionary fruit and great commission uh, 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 productivity than any of the other apostles. He became for us the writer of 85% of our New Testament. He planted most of the churches that we see in the whole uh, European and uh, uh, and. Um, uh, Mediterranean area where many of the other apostles stayed quite local to Jerusalem. 
he, he worked right around through that area and then said, my job's done here. I've planted churches everywhere. Now I'm going to go to Spain, North Africa, and, and, and everywhere else to, to keep on the work. He worked hard and God blessed him. He really was a living example of Psalm 126, verse 5, that those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. When we sow so many seeds that we are, we are tearful because we are hungry, because we could be using those to make bread or, or something else, but, but we sow them in sacrifice, God promises we will reap with shouts of joy. Paul lived that life to a greater extent than the other apostles. And he tells us here why. Because he received more grace. Grace. Let, let's marry these two again, I'll say in our minds. Let's marry them. Receiving grace from God will, should equal missionary and I don't, don't want to mean missionary just in going overseas. Let's, let's rephrase that to be gospel, great commission, engagement. That's what I mean. And that can be anywhere. That can be in, in, in retirement villages nearby. That can be in local schools. That can be going around the community, uh, in, in handing out of tracts, or in welcoming people in through hospitality into your home to share the gospel. Whatever it is, wherever God has gifted you and placed you in your family, community, whatever uh, uh, work scenario you have that you might use best for the gospel, wherever God has put you, he has given you all the grace that he has that you might work hard sacrificing your life and pleasures for the gospel. And so that Paul, Paul says, though, as we must remember, if we're going to put in that work, and we must, remember what he then catches himself and says even after that. He says, I worked harder than any of them, though... It was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so this should be our mindset. If we have, uh, if we have much work to do, we must remember that. And if we can even look back and see much work that God has done through us, we have to remember that God gave us the inclination by his grace to do it, the power by his grace to see it done, and he gave the result and the fruit by his grace for his glory. If you're, if you're working and, and you can look back at a faithful life lived for Jesus where he has blessed it with fruit and blessed it with um, product, uh, where he has produced um, souls saved and produced uh, church um, productivity and fruit in your life. If you can look back and, and see the faithfulness of God there, say with Paul, it was not I but the grace of God that was with me. Or if you're a Christian who has, has yet to really put your hand to the plow we must see Paul's pattern here and say, if I claim to have received grace, I should also be seen to be not letting that grace be in vain for God's glory. And of course, if we are lost here this evening, we have to remember to start at the beginning. We cannot jump in halfway uh, at the last 100 meters of a marathon and try and pass that, uh, that last line and claim to receive the prize. You have to begin right back at the beginning. And if you're a lost soul here tonight, don't think that you can shortcut this salvation by working really hard for God's grace. But here, rather the first call. Receive while you are sitting here, unworking, not doing anything, not able to offer anything. Right now, God's fully gracious, merciful offer to you is Christ and all of his benefits purchased for you at the cross. Simply by faith, you can receive that. Later on will come the working. Later on will come the, pro the produce of grace. But tonight, just receive by faith, if that's you. Um, I'm going to, can I pray to finish and then hand over to you? Um, so, 
Please bow with me. I'm going to, uh, while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to read for you the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Once we have a mindset that is captured by the grace of God and that is put to work by the grace of God, Paul then tells us this. Therefore, beloved, because of the resurrection, he's saying, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father God, I thank you so much for what you have been for us and what you have given to us in Jesus, that he, taking all of our sin, every one from the past, the ones that we remember and cannot, all of those that we are still struggling with and committing now, and all of those that we have yet to see into the future until the day of our death, he took all of them, became responsible for them, and took the death penalty that each of us deserved there on the cross. Father, we thank you for the, the proof that that is to us of your love, that you have not waited for us to become anything before you reach down, before you come down and save us, but you have initiated it all. You have put on full display in wisdom and power and glory your love to us. God, by raising Jesus from the dead, we see that we have an assurance of what is to come. We have an assurance that though we work hard and drive our bodies into the ground in this life, we will be raised up in glory incorruptible. Even though, God, we, we work hard and we sacrifice so many of the pleasures of this life in order to see others come to know you that little bit more, yet we will be resurrected and receive in the world to come pleasures at your right hand forevermore. That, God, whatever seeds we sow, the seeds of luxury, the seeds of leisure, the seeds of pleasure, the seeds of enjoyment and rest and relaxation. God, all of these seeds that we throw down, we know because Jesus was the seed that was cast to the ground, died and rose to produce fruit. We know also that all things that we sacrifice and as we throw our own life down, we will receive back with shouts of joy all the, the produce that you would give to us, that you will see and honor the sacrifices that we make. And yet, God, at the end of the day, we will still be saying, all of this fruit, God, is yours. By the grace of God, I have been what I have been and have done what I have done, but all glory to the gracious Father who gave such grace to me. God, I pray that you would just encourage us as a small congregation tonight that, that whatever work we are doing is for your glory, will be seen and will produce in due time. And God, would you rebuke where we are lazy, rebuke where we are unwilling to sacrifice and God, set our eyes on eternity, remembering to save a soul, to be instrumental in the saving of a soul is the most blessed work for our King that we can be ever taking part in. God, for your glory and in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen.